Today's scripture reading will come from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up to the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Please pass your... T- Gage, if you'd like to, I'll let you read that one. If you'll press this button, you can go on and read the rest of them. If you're visiting with us and you have gotten one of those attendance packets, if you would uh, pass your attendance card to the aisles at this time, uh, we'd like to take those up to have an opportunity uh, to have a record of your attendance. We are thankful for you who are here, and we are grateful for even those uh, who are visiting with us who haven't seen in a while, and so we're, great, we're glad to be able to see you. If you will, grab a Bible, turn that to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to wait, make our way to Matthew chapter 7 by way of Matthew chapter 5. See, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is known to us as the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first recorded sermon that Jesus preached. This is the beginning of his public ministry, and it covers a lot of information from how to be blessed by God to how to be uh, a righteous person standing before God. All types of things are covered within this particular sermon, and we're going to deal with really the latter portion of it, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 21 through verse number 23. In Matthew 7, verse number 21, Matthew writes, By the inspiration of God, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? I then will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In the construct of the Sermon on the Mount, this is one of the lower portions. This is one of those ebbs and flows to where we find a lower note. This is at a point in which Jesus is saying uh, that all of mankind will be judged by him and yet there will still be some to which he will reply. I never knew you. Let's notice what's going on in these few verses. In verse number 21, what you have here is a warning from Christ. And it's a warning about lip service. Here's what he says. Not everyone that says, not everyone that says to me, hmm. Now we say a lot of different things. We say a lot of different things and and mean a lot of different things by what we say. And yet... My grandfather used to say, I can stand in my hen house, but that doesn't make me a chicken. Now, we can say a lot of different things about ourselves, but is it true? 
Jesus is saying here, be forewarned about lip service because not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone that has those right words will be the ones that are acceptable unto me. It's going to be on, uh, on those right words and on that right action. Verse number 21 will teach us that you and I cannot work all week sowing our wild oats and come in here on Sunday and pray for crop failure. We, we can't live for the devil and then expect God to save us. Can we not say that many would say, Lord, Lord, how many people when they get into trouble will call on the name of God? <laughs> how many people in the world will call on the name of God knowing when they are in trouble? It's just not going to work that way. Jesus says, you're not going to be able just to call on me or, or rub on the side of my lamp as if I'm Aladdin's genie and I'll come out and grant you three wishes. That's not how this works. Avoid lip service is what Jesus the Christ would be saying. Notice verse, uh, the next idea here. Uh, avoiding that lip service will lead us to some sort of liberation. Not, in, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, notice this, will enter in the kingdom of heaven. Freedom and liberty is found in the kingdom of heaven. It's not found anywhere else. Freedom and liberty that's given to us by Jesus the Christ and His blood to not only be forgiven of sin, but be forgiven of the guilt of sin. Freedom and liberty are found within the church. Freedom and liberty are found within the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of heaven. Are you in there? Because not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, I'm going to just shuffle right through the door. Notice this, that he that, here's your lawful crowd, those ones that I'm going to, he that doeth the will. How many of you like English? I've asked that several times and nobody ever raises their hand. Ever ask it, so I hope somebody will raise their hand some point in time. I don't care if you don't like it. Please, somebody, raise your hand. Thank you. I appreciate that. There's an extra gold star for you. I know you don't really like English, but it's necessary as you and I look at this word to understand the grammar of E-T-H. That's not just a King James Version word that would stretch do out a little longer so it would sound old. That ETH means something. Those that do it, those who are in a continuous state of doing, those who are in a continuous process of doing, not those who have done, not those who intend to do, not those who at one time did but now are not, those who are in that continual process of doing, he that doeth the will of my Father. Now, what is that? What is doing the will of God? Well, it depends on where you're at. Because it might be uh, that you need to obey God's very plan of salvation for man. It might be that you need to obey God's uh, second law of pardon. It might be that, you see, it all depends where you are. He that doeth the will of my Father is the lawful ones that God will let in in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. But go to verse 722. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works? There's going to be a crowd there, and many will say, but wasn't it Moses through the pen of uh, the Holy Spirit who would write, Do not follow a multitude to do evil? You can follow a crowd to go anywhere.
You ever been downtown? You know, when everybody gets here in the summertime and, and the, the, uh, the sidewalks are just super crowded and this side's going that way and that other side's going the other direction and you really need to be over there, but you're going to have to go all the way up to the Arlington to turn around to come back. Why don't you just turn around and go right back? Oh, there's, there's too much of a crowd pushing me. Uh, brethren, there's going to be crowds all the time. It will be Jesus that say, you don't follow that crowd. Look at what he says in verse 13. If you're looking at that crowd, look at the crowd that's found in 13. Entry in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go therein. Hmm. That same crowd that's pushing me to do these things in Matthew 22, the same crowd found in verse number 13. Notice next what we see here. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, there are some claims. Have we not? And it's going to be the height of foolishness and arrogance for us to say that there are folks in this world who are disobedient to God and they never do anything good. That's incorrect. There are a lot of, lot of good works being done by people who don't obey God and don't care to obey God. A lot of good works done. The question is here in verse 22, are they, is that going to save them? They say, look at our past record. Look at, look at what we've done for humanity. Look at what we've done here and there. To which Jesus would say, but did you do the most important for the saving of yourself? What did you do on that end when the gospel was, was preached to you and, and exposed to you? What did you do to it then? You say, well, we, 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 we built this and we did those things for these people. It's not the question I'm asking. And for you who have been obedient to the gospel of Jesus the Christ. Do you really want him to focus on your past? <laughs> I'm going to take a hard pass on that. Have we not? Mm, mm, mm. Notice the next in verse 22. Have we not prophesied? Cast out devils? Done many wonderful works? Have we not done all of those things? Sure. The type of works that are done are still not going to save man. The type of works that are still not going to be, that are going to be done are still not going to be what convinces God to allow us into His heaven. The sad statement that's found in verse number twenty-three is on the heels of verse number 21 and 22. Have we not prophesied? Have we not cast out? Have we not done many wonderful works? You know what's not found in this verse? All right, pay attention. Here's what, here's what you're not ever going to find in verse number 22. Any change in life. They haven't changed anything. They haven't moved from one place to another, understanding and, and subjecting themselves to the authority of God. They simply said, look at what we've done. But what you'll never find is a change in life. 
So what we're looking at here is the classical case of me trying to work my way into the good graces of God. Didn't you see what I did? It doesn't matter. Yeah, but it was good. Yeah, it still doesn't matter. After all, on the, on the very end of the day, here's what you have. You have a guy in a suit who has committed sin, who deserves death. That's what you have. Don't fool yourself. Because this guy in the suit who's committed sin, who deserves death, is preaching to a congregation of people sitting in their lovely suits and dresses who have committed sin, who deserve death. And without the change in life, you're not going to be able to work your way into God's good graces. doesn't happen that way. You can build everything you want to build. For every underprivileged group you can find on this earth. And guess what? It's not going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. Because when the perfect man of Galatians chapter 3 sins, it is by necessity that a perfect sacrifice is made. Look at verse 23. Here's how the wicked are condemned. They're condemned in sorrow. I never knew you. This is passing through the lips of the one who knows everything, is everywhere, and knows all things and how all things consist. And he said, I don't know you. Can you imagine being part of this group? who has tried their best through their lives to, to do enough to have God recognize who they are and have this devastating sentence pronounced. I don't even know who you are. If we were going to uh, put that more in, in the 2022 version of English that you and I would speak, he would say this, I don't even recognize who you are. I don't know you, I don't even recognize who you are. Hmm. Notice verse number 23, there's separation. Depart from me. That, that separation is an eternal separation. That, that separation that you have here is attached to no hope. It's not the separation of good from bad. This is the separation of bad man from God has no hope. And it's, it's interesting that you and I should understand the idea of this separation, depart from me. We, we talk at, at length about how long heaven will last and those glories and joys that will be found therein. 
you and I need to understand. This place that's, that's made for the devil and his angels, this place to which wicked man will be separated, will last just as long. And just as much as there is no end to heaven. Write this down. There will be no end to this separation. Depart from me. I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity. Sin, iniquity, transgression, those type words are the words used in the Bible to convey the attitude behind the action of sin. Uh, we, we notice from time to time the idea of sin being to miss the mark, really to miss the, the bullseye or the um, target completely. We look at transgression as being one who has crossed over the line. And sometimes we look and say iniquity is lawlessness or rebellion. Literally, it means that this, to raise a fist clench toward God, for God to say, I want you to live this way, and you spit in his face and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to live how I want to live. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. No wonder that separation is happening. I'm going to live my life in a fashion to, to raise my fist against God, to say, I'm not going to ever do what you say, and then I'm going to get here and say, well, maybe you'll save me. Look right here. Before we all slip into eternity, and you say, I never heard this before. That's not going to happen. That's not how God works. I can't live those ways and expect Him to save me. Here's how we as people get it wrong, religiously speaking. We, we get it wrong with the idea of faith only. You know, faith only is mentioned one time in the Bible. It's mentioned in James chapter 2 and verse number 24. James chapter 2 and verse number 24 would tell us that man is not saved by faith only. Only time it's ever mentioned. It's mentioned in a negative case. That he is never saved by faith only. Here's how we get it wrong. Well, I feel that. I, I just have this feeling in my body that God is going to take your Bibles. Turn to the other side of the book. Proverbs chapter number 28. Some 1,500 years before the events of Christ's life happened. Here's what you'll read. Well, I feel this way. The Proverbs writer writes, The man who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Let 
Let's say I have a vehicle that's having some problems. And who am I going to ask about that, Lessel? I wonder. And Lessel says, yeah, bring it by the shop. We'll fix it. And he puts some, something in there that looks very mechanical. And he says it does this. And I just have to go, okay, sounds right to me. And we get done, we put that hood down. I notice there's a, there's a lot of bolts left. And I say, Lessel, you worried about all these bolts? He said, no, I feel like he'll stay on there. You going to take your car back to him? No, but you're going to trust your heart in, in the matters of religion and in, ter- in eternity by saying that thing. Oh, I just feel like, hmm, hmm. Okay. Here's where we get it wrong. You've seen it on the back of transfer trucks, I know, coming from here to Memphis all of your life. You should join the church of your choice. No. You should join God's church that Jesus Christ paid for, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It's what you should do. It is the church for which Jesus died. It is the church by the plan of God. It is the church, and there is no other. Along the same lines of I feel is I think. Now, let's go back a little further than 1,500 years. Back toward Christ. Let's make it about 750 years before Jesus ever comes to this earth. Well, I think I should do this or I think I should do that. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are much higher than your thoughts. Within the context of how man is saved and how God is worshipped and what this church should be like and how it should be structured and all of those things, you know how many times God asks me what I think? None. You know why? It doesn't matter what I think. Here's the question. Realistically, here's the question. Are you going to be a servant? Are you going to fix all the problems? Because I can either be a part of God's church in service to Him, or I can tell you where everything seems to be wrong. Because you ought to have the sinner's prayer. It's so much easier, although it's never found anywhere within the Bible. You ought to not believe in baptism, even though I can show you ten verses right off the top of my head where it says baptism is needed. You know, church ain't really needed. All you have to do is just meet at home, you know, where two or three are gathered. There's four in my house. Ah! The two or three are gathered in Matthew chapter 18 never deals with the church itself. It deals with the idea of uh, fellowship and, and the ideas of withdrawing fellowship. It doesn't have anything to do with the worship service. God and I are okay. No, you're not. Not unless. Not unless you find yourself not in the group that's talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 22, and 23. See, there is an opposing group that's mentioned, and it's mentioned by implication. Here's a group that, that God has says, I'm going to depart myself. I'm going to separate myself from. So if there's that group, then there has to be this group that he's going to join himself to. Every time the church is mentioned as being those who are saved, 
By extension, those who are lost are mentioned. Every time those who are lost are mentioned, by extension, those who are saved are mentioned. And here's how we find them. Those who have heard what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 13, verse number 9. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus would say, unless you believe that I am he. Now notice what, what's after this, because sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that the he is in italics and that it shouldn't be there and the weight of the sentence is so much more without it. Even though we get so caught up in that, listen to what's being said after it. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. Don't forget that last part. About Luke chapter 13, Jesus says, Repent, uh, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Do you notice by now, in belief and repentance, and both times he mentioned perishing, without doing these things, that leads to death. Confession in Jesus Christ as the Lord, Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, 32 and 33, I'll confess you before my Father if you confess me. If you don't, I'm not. Be Jesus in Mark chapter 16, verse number 16, Matthew chapter 20, verses 18 through 20, would tell us that it is necessary for man to be baptized. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned. Once again, the idea of perishing. Well, why didn't he say be baptized a second time? Well, why does he have to? If he said it the first time, this is what leads to salvation, why does he have to say it the second time? It would be Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, the latter part, who would say, be thou faithful until death, and I will give you a crown of life. This is the group that's different from the group that's mentioned in Matthew chapter 7. Now, take a good deep look at yourself as we got some questions to answer. You ready? Which group do you currently find yourself in? Everybody in their mind should have a group whether you can see it like a picture or not, you know the answer to the question. And by the way, I don't, I don't know the answer to your question. But you know the answer for your question. Which group do you currently find yourself in? Question number two. Will you be pleased with that sentence? The sentence of join me in life or depart from me, I never knew you? Or, are you satisfied with that? Don't shake or nod. Don't draw any attention to yourself. Just think, I am satisfied or I am not. Third question. It has an A and a B. A, 
3a. For all you who are satisfied and know, praise God for you. B, for you who know and are not satisfied, what are you waiting on? What, what, what else can be said from this pulpit to let you know about the authority of God? What else can be said from this pulpit to let you know about your submission to God and His uh, giving everything for you and offering you everything He has when this life is over if you will be obedient to Him? What else needs to be said? Are you satisfied? Or do you want to change? This is where every sermon ends. This is, this is the mindset of every single sermon and every single Bible class you've ever sat in. Are you satisfied where you are, or do you want to change? If you've never put on Christ, you need to. You need to be a member of His family, and you need to have the opportunity to walk into his heaven with him. If you've done those things and yet you look at your life and say, I'm not satisfied, well then come back home. Stop wondering when or how or what people, who cares? Come back home. What are you waiting on? Right now as we stand and sing for you. I pray my sins.